Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I guess we're live. Jazz we are say. live. Yes, we are live. What is going on, everybody? Uh, this is the Xbox Two Plus One. I am one of your hosts, Randall Thor Nineteen, the man with the million, and yeah, Jess Corden here, managing editor, Windows Central. Uh, we were talking earlier about how he bought the seventy-dollar horse armor for Diablo Four because <laughs> he's like, screw it. Why are you slandering me? Oh God, I did not buy the seventy-dollar horse. For Diablo, it doesn't even look yeah, good. If it looked good, I maybe would consider it. But you no, I did not. Would. I did not buy the horse. No, but that that was a fun controversy from that week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, maybe uh, it cost Diablo its nominations, which yeah, we'll talk about did. more in which, a minute. Which it didn't. Uh, but our <laughs> plus one this week uh, is the one and only Paul Tassi from Forbes. How's it going, Paul? Thanks for joining us. Good, good. Thanks for having me. And uh, what is sure to be a very, uh, man, there's actually a lot to talk about because the Game Awards just happened. Uh, there's stuff going on at Xbox and PlayStation that we wanted to get your opinion on. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of things going on because uh, yesterday's Game Awards announcements uh, didn't go down very well with some people, I guess. Um, <laughs> you could say uh, that. Certain words were trending on Twitter all day long that were people like, what is... Like, for instance, do you now know what Xbox tax is? Uh, I do now, and <laughs> everything I read about it was kind of stupid, so... Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start, Jez? You want to just start right with... I don't know. I, I think... Game Awards? I suppose what what we should get into first is maybe some of Paul's career history because oh yeah, yeah. Forbes is a legitimate outlet, you know. That is true. So I'm, I'm I'm I have to say, Paul, I am slightly starstruck here because okay, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a I'm a journalist, so apparently. No, you always you, say you you're a for, blogger. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a blogger. A blogger. I, I keyboard. I do the keyboard <laughs> thing, you know. And Forbes is like all legit and stuff. So I'm curious, like, how did you get in? To, to writing about video games for Forbes because Forbes isn't like a brand I think most people would necessarily associate with video games but you've built it out to be quite a force to be reckoned with I would say like how did all that come about for you I'm really intrigued I, to know I appreciate that yeah um so it's been about 13 years now I've been at Forbes I think it was 13 years this past October which makes oh, me feel wow. very old uh <laughs> So originally, this started shortly after I graduated college, where 
I moved to New York to uh, work at a blogging startup uh, for a, a little bit. And while I was doing that, I on the side, I was freelancing for a, another startup, a new site called TrueSlant.com. And they hired me uh, and told me to pick a topic I wanted to write about. So I picked video games. And then about eight months later, they were bought by Forbes. And they did get rid of most people. And I thought that was just kind of over, but they decided to keep me on and I got to keep my same beats. Uh, at that point, Forbes had very, very, very minimal video game coverage, obviously. And me and a couple of my, my coworkers um, just started covering it. And over the years, I kind of invested more and more into it. Like, you know, 10 years ago, I was maybe writing three, four, five articles a week. Now I'm doing five a day <laughs> because it's essentially like three of us competing against, I don't know, all of IGN. Um, so we, we kind of pick and choose stories when we can and we really try to make a go of it. Um, and yeah, over time, it's just been been built up and it's, we've been you know fortunate to get at least something of a following. But even to this day, after 13 years, I still get the, the whole like Forbes covers video games. Like why would anyone take them seriously? Which I'm, I'm used to at this point, which is fine. But yeah, it's it's a lot of lot of luck, I'd say, to to end up where I am. But you know, I've I've tried to work hard to keep it going all these years. No, I think like you've definitely made Forbes recognizable, for, for video games, I would say. I mean, I, I I before before we went before we went live, like um we weren't really talking about too much. We weren't really talking about um. Sorry, yeah, I just really distracted. quickly. Yeah, someone. I, got, some, I gotta let you. I gotta let you know that you, the game audios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, coming I, through. Yeah, I fixed it now. Professional podcaster Jez Professional Gordon, podcast, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Game audio muted. Yeah, the game audio is muted now. Um, sorry about that, everyone. Um, but uh, before we went live, we were talking about. I completely lost my trailer thought. <laughs> Because I was trying to sort the horse so, armor. Were you talking about the horse armor? Nah, I can't remember okay. now. But um, but you've yeah, you're you've talking def- about like uh, like Paul's books because you know I, I, we I read were a lot talking of books about and Paul writes some books. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, we're also talking about Paul's books as well. That's right. So you, you regale us with with your what do you call it? Bibliography is that is that the right word? Bibliography. What is Bibliography. A, that is a word? I, wow, you know, that that could be right. We'll go with that. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I might I might be using the wrong word, professional writer. But um, but yeah, give us some give us some background on that. Yeah, um, I have uh, five books. I have a trilogy, and then I have uh, so far, I guess, a duology. Um, I have been trying to find time to write books on the side for a very long time, and I was able to start a few years ago and uh, find a publisher which was fantastic. They originally made, they're like, can you write, you know, uh, a nonfiction book about video games? And I'm like, eh, I prefer fiction. And so here we are. Uh, They're both uh, science fiction-ish books. The first one is really science fiction. Um, The the Earthborn trilogy, it starts with kind of uh, a ruined Earth in the aftermath of an alien invasion. And uh, eventually they get off Earth and it gets, uh, it kind of turns into a space opera. And then my second two books, Hero Killer 1 and 2, uh, heavily influenced by, I'm going to say, fighting games, professional wrestling. It's like a near-future gladiator story uh, that I've kind of tried to write like a blockbuster film. So those are a lot of fun. I'm working on a sixth book, but now I have a son, and free time is a little more limited than it used to be. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Man, like, I would write a book if I had any creativity whatsoever. So I would just blog instead. <laughs> 
you know that takes some amount of creativity that's that's my day job too yeah, so a little bit it's, I, yeah yeah I'm, I'm hoping chat gpt will just just replace me and then i can just play warcraft all day and be yeah be probably have a couple months left so yeah a few few months left on that one mm-hmm. but yeah i mean we should probably gain some gaming topics because you know uh otherwise i mean we could talk all day and all night about everything that's been happening in the gaming sphere but we want to respect paul's time and all that kind of stuff. So Rand, I suppose, what should we talk about first? Because there, we we didn't podcast this past week because Rand decided to be ill. And, yeah, and what um, happens when you come down with the flu. Yeah, so Rand was ill. So we missed, we, we haven't, me and Rand, me and Rand haven't talked about any of the recent topics. That'd be yeah, we're around, gonna have but... a, we're gonna have a very very long podcast on Friday, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, we are. We we got two we got two weeks of Patreon questions to get through as well, so that'll be fun. But um, I suppose the the big topic of the right now is the Game Award nominations because they they've been quite controversial for a number of reasons. For a like gobbled categories, controversy over you know the perception of being snubbed and that kind of stuff. You know, Rand, I, what are your thoughts on it, Rand? Because to start with, and then I think like, I, because I haven't spoken to you, Rand, about it. What are, yeah, so I guess where like do you my want to start? Thoughts on it. Yeah, the Game Awards, um, Jeff Keighley knows what he's doing because it's a marketing event, but people put all this, they, they think it's like the be all end all. Right, and kudos for Jeff for positioning it as like the the biggest thing, uh, the only award that matters. But at the end of the day, uh, it is just a marketing event to sell you ads and new video games. And I always see people from different fandoms uh, always get upset when you know a one of their games gets snubbed. Like Starfield not getting a nomination for Game of the Year really pissed a lot of people off. Or in years past, like maybe Horizon Zero you know, Zero Dawn or Forbidden West not winning anything. Uh, you know, games legitimately like, hey, Diablo 4, one of the best looking game, you know, art up the wazoo for, the, for that type of game it is. Uh, no nomination for art, no nomination for, you know, even best RPG. And it creates this discussion online, which then further facilitates like the game awards. And then Jeff comes back like six hours later. How are we all still feel? He like he knows exactly <laughs> what he's doing, right? You know, no, no, no such thing as bad press. Um, and I have to at least commend Jeff for doing it because I do like the game awards. I like at least sitting down with my buddies because we we have a pool. Uh, where all of us guess like the you know who's gonna win, and then every, you know then there's like we we have prizes and stuff. So I look forward to that. But obviously, the main reason I'm watching it is to to watch the new trailers and the, the new announcements because I don't nobody watches the Golden Joysticks or the Dice Awards or any other game awards because they don't really have anything for us really to watch. So Jeff brings something where it's like people talk about you know. Uh, what what brand new game trailers were there but it's also sort of seeped into this uh people's thoughts that this is the only thing that matters and that that leads to uh you know what you end up with yesterday where you know 
Paul found out exactly what Xbox tax is and Xbox concubines. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that. So it's like, I appreciate, I appreciate Jeff for doing it. Um, because I do think games need to be celebrated. Uh, I just sort of think the way that it's done is a little bit too Hollywood. And it's not really a celebration of games too much as it is just a marketing event for these companies to sell you future products. Um, but yeah, those are kind of my initial thoughts, you know, when you dive deep, uh, maybe we'll talk about that later, but I'm, I'm interested in, cause I, I saw some of Paul's tweets about this, so I kind of know where he's going to go with it, but, uh, um, what do you think, Paul? How, how do you, how do you feel overall about the game awards? Yeah, I, I'm probably a little less harsh than you. I, I totally agree that it is at its core a marketing event, And yet I also agree with you that it sort of needs that angle to be watched by gamers because you're right that gamers. You know, we don't have 90 years of the Oscars <laughs> behind us. We have a couple years of this, really. And man, if you're saying you don't think this celebrates games, uh, you should have been with me at the Spike VGX Awards back when this was, it was still Kylie, but it, or Keely, but it was, uh, you know, that was like, here's Denise Richards presenting, you know, an award. <laughs> and like, it was, it was like way just overloaded with totally irrelevant celebrities. And it was just, it was kind of just a big, party and like a, a, a joke well, but I, think I guess what i mean by it. it doesn't celebrate it is is when you actually get to the telecast itself he he announces award winners off screen and yeah, it's like, oh by are... the way blah 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 one blah 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 one blah 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 one and let's move on to the next world <laughs> premiere you know what i mean like that it's is not what balanced I'm very well and i i also take issue with i i think the categorization and the number of awards and what they have decided to award re- like needs some overhauling. Like I, I tweeted earlier about how, like, I don't think this whole, this thing needs an esports category anymore. Mm-hmm. Like this is not to knock esports, but I think even esports people are like, what, like, what is, what is happening here? It just, it seems like it's a wholly separate thing. And there are categories that are missing. Like they have one performance category where five people out of every game ever released this year, get nominated, which seems insane to me. Um, so I, I think there's certainly refinement work to be done, but also like in terms of, you know, it's the only thing that matters. I just, I don't think we have a video game Oscars. Like we will probably never have anything that prestigious, but I think everyone was looking for something at least adjacent to that. Like it's people like doing this. It's like, it's, it's the ultimate sports. Like why would there be this big debate about all this stuff if nobody cared? And like, you know, people certainly say the Oscars are irrelevant, the Emmys are irrelevant, which, you know, that that's a matter of perspective. But boy, these companies sure want to win these awards. And there are sure big parts of fandoms that want their games to win these awards. So I, I think it has sort of, ever since it became the Game Awards, instead of like Spike TVs, whatever, I, I think it has slowly amassed at least, you know, part of that reputation um, over time. And that's why it's, you know, quote unquote important, even if you know, the real, the real winners are the games that sell the most, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is, you know, looking at this year's stuff, like I'm sure you saw the esports coach who's like, I didn't even coach this year. Why am I on this list? Right. And it's mm-hmm. alongside some weird nominations for categories like SIM and uh, strategy and it's like all these games come out like for racing games and and sports games, and it's always the same racing and sports games that get nominated, and they stick them all in one category. It, it sort of seems like the panel doesn't really play a lot of 
the games because you end up in a situation like Destiny 2 nominated for community support, which is like the biggest joke of all time. Okay, I will push back on that, but I can okay. do it later. <laughs> okay, or, or like best ongoing game, for example, right? It's To me, it always seems like it's it's people who vote on these things, but they don't actually play. No, I'm not saying they don't play the game of the game of the year contenders, or they don't play the big games. But when it comes to like ongoing game, I feel like they're just picking from the list of the high profile. Like, oh yeah, Apex Legends should be on here. Why not? And Genshin Impact and things of that nature. Um, you know, over you know, essentially what you could argue like Sea of Thieves or Halo Infinite or even some other games. And I don't know. To me, it's it it, it just kind of. I'm just, I, I just kind of look at it and I'm like, are, are people really, is it, are they actually really playing this or is it just, are they just picking, you know, names out of, out I, of a hat? I will say like, this is what happens. Like if you, you go into the Oscars discourse, a, a overwhelmingly frequent complaint is that the voters there watch like the top seven films of the year and then just vote for them. And right. that's why you see so many things neglected. So I don't think that's unique to the space. And that's movies. Movies are two hours. <laughs> so, you know, every, the, the nominees here or the, the nominators are not going to play all the games for sure. But you're, you're right in that short changes a lot of the kind of more minor categories, especially stuff like Sims, especially stuff like, I guess, VR. Like it was all PSVR games nominated, yeah. like the ones anyone has heard of. And I, I think you're absolutely right that Halo Infinite was robbed for best ongoing. But again best ongoing you know who has time for the five live service games or whatever that would be nominated for that so it is a problem i just don't really know how to solve that problem it's it's pretty common with awards more generally i think there is there's a disconnect because like everyone kind of lives in their little bubbles now and like i was tweeting earlier yesterday i was tweeting that i think world of warcraft deserved to be nominated for ongoing game because you know the the hardcore mode they added this summer is is all over Twitch and it's brought Xbox it's brought World of Warcraft back to the for, to the forefront of streaming and stuff and made the game exciting again the permadeath mode you know people get people ganking each other on stream and stuff like that um and I I thought that was like a really meaningful update they added to WoW this year and it was it was also like you know community led because it, it it evolved from a mod. You know, and I, I thought that that kind of stuff deserves some kind of recognition. And See, but like, I, I wouldn't have even have known that. Exactly. But yeah, that's, that's, that's so like if I was voting, I wouldn't have had any real awareness of that because my focus is on something else. So like, exactly. That's why well, that's, that's all these games, yeah, and that's, the, you know, yeah, that's how we get where yeah. we are. That's my point. That's my point. It's, it's like yeah, the content creation now, like when it when it comes to YouTubers and stuff, YouTubers like they'll, they'll focus entirely on one game. Like this year, I mostly play a couple of games i played diablo warcraft really so that's kind of like my entire scope for reference i didn't play a lot of the games that have been nominated you know i never play i didn't i didn't touch mario for example so like my my when when i see i i, I go and look at the trailer and it's just like oh that that looks like mario with an elephant in it it's it's kind of tough and i suppose it, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about working for forbes there's there's three of you competing with ign and then, like each individual IGN writer will have a base of games that they're aware of, and then every sort of every Windows Central writer have a base of games that they're super aware of. You know, I you shouldn't ask me to comment on things like FIFA because I don't play them. I suppose it's like 
how do you solve that? And it's like, there's no really great way of, I can think of solving it because I think there, there isn't, there isn't enough money in games journalism to, dis, to, to justify covering some of these smaller, smaller kind of games, you know? And, yeah. and then it's like, okay, well, I suppose what, what, what do you do then? Like, is Jeff, is Jeff going to like hire a bunch of people who just play loads of games every year? <laughs> you know? uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to think about what, what a better way of doing it is in that context. But at the same and time, if, I mean, if movies yeah. and TVs haven't figured it out either after 90 years, like I don't <laughs> think the best you can hope for is like small improvements, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tougher in the games industry because of the length of everything and just how much time there is not yeah. to play everything. Yeah. Oh well, I suppose like yeah. um, but the, you know on on this on the flip side of that, you know, just to play devil's advocate or whatever, if we do have a situation where PlayStation, for example, right now is at least three to one against Xbox, maybe more. Is it more than that, Rand? Three to one, four to one, five to one. Uh, I mean, we don't Market know Xbox's. We don't know Xbox's Market console share, yeah. share. It's not. It's not two to one yet. I don't think it's getting close though, because I think PlayStation just announced 46 million consoles, yeah. and I think Xbox is probably around 25. Well, so yep. it's not two to one yet. I mean, I'm sure in some places it's five to one, like Germany or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, not yet. Well, I, the the reason I mentioned that was because like that feasibly translates to the panel too. So how many people on the panel played Hi-Fi Rush or Grounded or Halo Infinite or whatever? I know these games are on PC as well, but you know the how many people are playing on PC? You know, well that's I, the like, thing. Like, I don't think anybody in the panel playing Halo Infinite, which is one of the reasons why Halo Infinite's not nominated for Best Ongoing Game, even though it's going through its, as you would say, Renaissance. Renaissance. Right? Uh, but yeah, surely it's getting there, right? Renaissance. I just like using I mean, that word Renaissance. It makes you sound smart. It's 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 going through what it's almost going through a typical live service game where it's like launch is okay and then it doesn't have any support for a while. It falls off and then suddenly two years later it's like amazing. I don't know how many like live service games have gone through that whole thing where it's like eventually after a certain amount of time it's like, oh now we're actually good again. But, you know, the problem now is not 2015 where you're Rainbow Six Siege and there's not a lot of competition and you can actually fumble and then, you know, write yourself and become a juggernaut. Now there's all these games, you know, that are vying for your time and Halo Infinite had that one chance to make an impression and it mm. didn't. And are people going back and playing it? Well, you know, gamers are clearly, uh, but I don't necessarily know if the press is. And I, Paul, I don't know. Did you see? Did you see Sea of Thieves tweeting to Jeff yesterday? I did not. What did they say? They're like, uh, they were like, maybe next year or like, you know, uh, one year it'll be us or whatever, right? But no, in this sense, I think you're right. I mean, like, what what percents of people are are in the voting panel are playing the Sea of Thieves actively, especially in a year like this year? It's just, it's got to be a very very tiny amount. So. In that sense, yeah, I, I think you're right. It is a lot of, um, you know, bias against games that just not that many. Like, see if these may have a better improvement. Like, again, I have no idea what see if these did this year, but they may have had a great year. It's just how many people actually 
know about that or focused on that game as opposed to all these other games. So you are at a disadvantage, really kind of no matter your quality. I would hope Halo Infinite would be a little more high profile as kind of a recovery story. Um, but maybe it'll take you even more time for that. Is like I know the, the big, big update and change kind of just happened more recently, but it's yeah, it's it's tough. And I, I do think people just sort of vault for vote for the default like Engine Impact. They add tons of new content every three months or whatever, and it's one of the biggest games in the world. So like there you go. That gets nominated. But yeah, yeah, Sea of Thieves, like Sea of Thieves is not going to get the attention of a Genshin Impact that is two hundred times its size, right? Yeah, I mean, you could you you can make that uh, claim for like almost all of Xbox's games. Cause a lot of Xbox's games are live service. I mean, like Forza Horizon Five. Uh, you know, I mean, like, but Forza Horizon Five got its flowers, right? I mean, that was a very well respected. No, no, no. But I mean, you game. could make the argument. You know, it could, it should, or could nominate it for best ongoing game with all the content that it it has consistently every week, right? I'm 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 agreeing with you in the sense that I don't really think a lot of people on the panel play a lot of these mm-hmm. games to actually vote for them, and you know it's yeah. just kind of the thing. I'm just saying that you could like Grounded, for example, could be nominated for best ongoing game because uh, Xbox has like a, a, a you know a huge catalog of of that of that type of experience. Um, but yeah, um, how do you feel about? And I'll just go right to the to you know game of the year. How do you feel about the game of the year nominees? personally um that part is probably one of the least <laughs> surprising lineups i saw i mean i i think three were sets i think alan wake Baldur's gate and tears of the kingdom were always going to be there it is not terribly shocking there is a you know a big mario installment there um dude all the praise for spider-man 2 that is also not super surprising um i i personally rated spider-man a little lower than most people but you know, I, I get it. I, I think the the one slot that is maybe the most controversial is RE4, where obviously mm. it was very good, but it's also a remake, and like, should that count, et cetera, et cetera. And then behind that, there are probably five at least other games you could have swapped in for one or two of those spots that just did not land there. And I'm sure this is, you know, swings back to the whole Starfield debate, but pulling back to the wider industry, you know... Um, the overall nature of kind of how it was received, the scores it got, I am not shocked that it did not end up with the nomination at the end of the year. Part of that is it's this year, it's 2023, and everything was insane. And then part of it may be that voters, whoever, did not like it as much as some other people, namely me, you know, who, who really did like it. But um, that, that I think, I, I'm not shocked, I, I guess, as maybe the Xbox fans that, Starfield did not land that nomination. Maybe a couple other ones that should have gotten music, you know, uh, some some of the art direction for the the planets and things. But game of the year, I'm I'm not super surprised by there. Is I guess the question I have is uh, is that a problem? Because when I did we with my friends, we we guessed the nominees in October, right before the Spider Man reviews, before the Alan Wake reviews, and I got five out of the six, right? Oh wow, <laughs> and even last year, like when you were thinking like, okay, it's 2022, what's potentially going to be nominated in 2023? I got four of the six, right? Like you said, it's, it's not, it's not hard to guess who is going to be nominated. Like everybody knew Zelda was going to be there. Um, I knew Resident Evil was going to be there because Resident Evil 2 remake was nominated in 2019 and Resident Evil Village was nominated in 2021. Uh, I think the, the, panel has 
a love affair with Resident Evil, shall we say. <laughs> I so I was like, I felt pretty confident Resident Evil 4 was going to be in, and considering it rated so high. Um, I wasn't too sure about Baldur's Gate at the time, because I, I think that kind of snuck up on everybody. But I, Spider-Man 2, I, I was like, yeah, that's going to be nominated, because the first one was. So, like, even last year, like, I think I got four out of six, and you mentioned, like, hey, you know what, like, not a really surprise, is that... Is that a good or a bad thing? Because does is that just show that like the games with the most hype tend to get like the most played, so they tend to be uh, the ones that the panel plays the most, or the the most voted on? Is it is it kind of bad that like the games that you can like I could point to a year ago and say these are the four or the six nominees and then I'm getting it? Is that speak to this like? I don't know, people just falling for the hype. And I'm not saying the games aren't great because a lot of them, you know, are really great. But is that a problem for the industry when you look at what's nominated and it's mostly just... I know what you're getting at. You're you're saying that there's a homogeny of opinion amongst the panel, right? Essentially, yeah. Like, it's it's predictable, you know? It's predictable, yes. Uh, I mean, I I do think it is predictable to a certain extent, and yet... I think there are there are at least some exceptions. You wouldn't expect every nominee to be like a total shock. And like this year, for instance, again, I don't think anyone saw Baldur's Gate three coming. No. And that is probably going to sweep everything. So that probably. is although least, Alan Wake know, two should win. Damn it! Come on. <laughs> no, they, like six six months ago, no one would have predicted that. And so that is a genuine surprise. It's probably one of the most surprising you know, amazing games we've seen in, in several years based on how it's been received. Something like a Zelda game, though, like here's the sequel to Breath of the Wild, which was stunning. Like it is not shocking that that gets nominated, but it's also it's also very good, you know, according to yeah. most people. And if they just totally drop the ball on it, then no, maybe maybe it doesn't get nominated. I, I don't think it's getting those scores just because everyone loves Nintendo or loves Zelda. I, I do think it has to deliver at a certain level. And I do think that critics as a whole get sort of hung up on, on certain franchises. You mentioned Resident Evil. I, you know, I, I just beat Alan Wake 2. Um, and I, I, I like it. It's, I, I understand why everyone loves oh, but it. You but you don't I love think, it. I can hear it in your voice. Oh no. It's just, no, it, it's, <laughs> I've just, I don't have a history with the series. Like I don't, okay. I'm not really a survival horror person, but I, I really respect a lot of the things it did. But I think the critic class especially is like really, really, really gaga over Alan Wake 2, which maybe totally deserved. But that, that is one that I saw coming that, that was going to get a ton of nominations and here we are. I think it tied Baldur's Gate. So it's but then again, like would you have predicted Alan's Alan Way 2 would be this good, you know, back when you heard it announced? Maybe some people, but I, I don't know if anyone really expected quite what it would be in that sense. So if you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. I don't think it's it's total homogeny. I, I think there is room for some surprises, even though you can predict four out of six or five out of six. You're also mm-hmm. integrated into the industry and very probably very good at, at reading you know, the, the scene and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, like next year. Grand Theft Auto Six might come out, and I don't even need to say like that's I mean, going to be that's, nominated. That's default. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, but but it should it be default? I guess is the question. 
You know, like I just even it doesn't even have to be really good. It's Grand Theft Auto. It's going to get nominated. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I don't know. I just sometimes it's like when you can look at it and pick out the winners uh, or at least the nominees so far in advance. Sometimes it's like that could be like I don't find problem. the Game Awards terribly exciting for that reason because yeah, I guess how much of it seems predetermined. Like I don't think anyone will anything will win other than Baldur's Gate. Like I, I don't think it's really. You don't I, personally. I don't think it's up for debate, but <laughs> so you don't think anything has a chance of winning outside of if like, anything does, it's Alan Wake two, and it it maybe could have been Zelda, but Zelda and Mario will split the Nintendo vote. Yeah, and it's so because of the critics, because of who's voting on this, it Alan Wake two is really the only one I could see, but Alan Wake could win best direction or best narrative or something else besides that. But I I fundamentally have to believe Baldur's will win. I think Baldur's will win as well. I think it, this could actually not necessarily be a, a game journalist or, or a panel issue. It could actually just be an industry issue of like the fact that remakes are being nominated and stuff. Maybe it's just because the industry's run out of you know unique ideas and the willingness to take risks. I mean, Baldur's Gate is a AAA CRPG, which by any sane publisher's metric is a huge risk in 2023. You know, who would have thought a C, a C, you know, classic CRPG type of game based on Baldur's Gate would, would have blown up as hard as it did? That's the kind of risk EA would never take, the kind of risk you, Activision would never take. And I don't think even Microsoft, with, with all of its like, oh, we let, our, we let our devs be crave. I don't think they would, they would put the kind of money up to make a Pillars of Eternity three or a Wasteland four with that kind of budget, I don't think I really don't think they'd do it. I, I think um, it's hard to gauge anything against Baldur's. Like it's a unicorn. Like I, I don't think we can <laughs> is, yeah, learn anything from it necessarily because I, I don't know how anyone would would repeat that kind of risk and kind of success at yeah. that level. I mean, maybe, but but boy, I think that, that I think that's why. Rare. Yeah, I think that's why it's just pre predictable in some sense, though, because. Companies are just rehashing and they're, they're sort of remaking stuff because they're afraid to try things that might not work for, for potentially for good reason. You know, if it's, if it is risky and stuff and, you know, I, I suppose like, you know, that Resident Evil is going to get nominated because we know that it's what gamers enjoy and it's what critics enjoy. People like Resident Evil and Capcom tends to do a good job of it. Resident Evil Three didn't get nominated because it was well, no, terrible. but <laughs> but like I also find that like the outrage about Resident Evil Remake getting nominated this year weird because nobody complained when Resident Evil Two Remake was nominated in 2019, and nobody complained when Final Fantasy VII Remake was nominated in 2020. Well, I, th I think that's because 2023 is different. There's probably like a lot well, of yeah, stuff so that it's, it's deserves because, to be it's in because there. of all the other games essentially that it's essentially yeah. blocking. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. This is why this is why I think I think a lot of the brouhaha could have been solved by having more more slots in the category. But you know, Jeff. Jeff well, what one like, idea I've heard is a, a category for best new IP, <laughs> where yeah. it's like you have know, to like, not be a sequel or a remake. You know, it, I don't think more slots would solve the problem. Like, I guess it would be like. I'm going to rip that off. No, more, more bragging game. rights for the next four games or whatever that get added, but I don't think it would change the fundamental, unless you were doing like a ranking order, like in the end, here are, is, you know, number one to 10, 
based on votes, but you know, it's still going to be Baldur's Gate, even if you add four more games to it. I think it's, you know, it might calm people down a little bit if Final Fantasy 16 and Starfield got a nomination if they expanded the category. Mm. But, you know, keep in mind that's this year and then next year, you know, if you extend the category and there's really only maybe a couple of good games, then it gets kind of goofy. So, I mean, for this year, it may have made sense. I just, I don't know if that really solves anything per se. Yeah, yeah I, was, I guess you're right. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna steal uh, that idea for the um, best new IP for my game awards. Thanks, Paul. I was looking at Hi-Fi Rush, <laughs> and I noticed that Hi-Fi Rush had as uh, for all the games in the Game of the Year category, uh, they were also the most nominated games, except for Resident Evil. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush had as many as the rest of them. So to me, it almost feels like Resident Evil took Hi-Fi Rush's Game of the Year spot. And for all we know, Hi-Fi Rush is maybe sitting in that number, like number seven spot, just outside of the game of the year thing. Mm, but I, I, yeah. I do, I do agree with the idea that this year was just so loaded that if you Starfield had come out when it was supposed to last year, or even when it was supposed to in 2021, according to Bethesda's, uh, you know, leaked roadmap, Starfield probably is nominated if it comes out next last year because last Absolutely. year wasn't yeah per- particularly I, I sure believe that would have happened yeah but then again I, I look at the critic response to starfield this year to, to the game and i'm just like mm, even if it did come out last year in a worse state does it review worse or does it review the same well in a worse state maybe not <laughs> Well, I mean, you um, would assume it would have been in a worse state right, because right, they spent right. like a year working on it, but there wasn't, last year was very, uh, you know, I mean, granted it would have lost to Elden Ring because nothing was beaten Elden Ring, yes. uh, but this year just seemed to be a, a lot of competition, so I guess... Maybe it should have uh, come out next year. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's going to lose the Grand Theft Auto 6 next year, so... We know uh, for sure that Grand Theft Auto is coming out next year. I mean, just because they're announcing it this year. It could be pushed. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it could be one of those things where they announced for the fall and it gets this typical Rockstar delay to like spring or something, Mm -hmm. right? To 2025. I guess, um, yeah, well, I guess I want to ask you, Paul, about the the whole Xbox situation regarding this. Um, Because you had a tweet where, uh, let me bring up your tweet because someone asked. I know which tweet it is. Yeah, someone asked me to ask you about it. So I've. And I actually was kind of wondering myself what you exactly meant by this. Uh, let me see. Let me get, let me get your tweet here. Man, you do tweet a lot. Let me see. Because <laughs> I barely ever tweet. Um, oh, Rand's uh, too cool for Twitter. Are you Rand? I just, I don't know. I'm one of those I people that just... probably have it memorized also. <laughs> it's the <laughs> one I think it is. Uh, okay. Jeez. Scrolling. I'm sc- All right. Let's see. You said that um, Starfield Landing just one nom, best RPG, which it will lose to Baldur's, isn't good. Even if this was outside of Microsoft ownership, an enormous mainline Bethesda game performing like that is kind of unheard of. And I think they have a lot more work to do. Uh, Inside the context of Microsoft ownership shows Xbox still has a ways to go with bigger non-Forza first-party stuff. Hi-Fi Rush was a big winner. But looking ahead, a lot to prove still. I think Hellblade 2 could do well next year. Halo Infinite should have gotten the best ongoing. Um, So, like, could you expand on what you meant uh, by those tweets? Sure. Okay. So I have to separate like how I feel personally about Starfield from right. how it's kind of landed in the larger context. Like I gave Starfield a 9.5 out of 10. It is one of my, my personal favorite games of the year, but obviously, you know, the wider critics pool, you know, it's an 83 on Metacritic or whatever. Um, 
this has to be what Microsoft was going to consider one of one of the biggest games exclusives that they have this generation. And we know, you know, the, the stuff that is coming, but even among that, I still believe a, a sprawling mainline Bethesda game that is theoretically bigger than anything else they've done. I, I think it needed to be more of an event and landed better than it did. I think it has done very well in some ways. I've, I've written about its really, really solid player retention for, for a single player game after two months. Still re- doing really well on Xbox. Um, you know, Steam numbers are pretty good. But in terms of, you know, how it, it has been wider received or how it's been, you know, attempting to change the perception behind Xbox first party, I don't think it has achieved those objectives. And the, I think you, you were talking earlier about like these companies playing it safe and like they're just making sequels or remakes and stuff. And well, Starfield is a new IP, by far the most common complaint I, I hear about it is that it was Bethesda not taking enough risks it was a correction after fallout 76 where they tried to do this big pivot to multiplayer and it totally blew up in their faces but then it took you know three years to fix or whatever and they were just really like okay we're going to make a normal bethesda rpg but now it's in space now we have some planet exploration and, and space fighting but fundamentally everyone is like this is just sort of another bethesda game and in many ways that format is starting to feel dated compared to a lot of the competition and i do not think it helped this year that uh starfield came out alongside games like Baldur's gates or even like cyberpunk phantom liberty with these you know crazy involved like you know npc storylines and amazing performance capture and voice acting and like it it just felt dated in in many of those aspects like i personally had a great time exploring and the combat and stuff but i think i can still recognize that i sort of understand where people are coming from. And I think Bethesda is going to add, spend a lot of time uh, adding to the game. If you look at, you know, the past games, it's added content to, you know, more ship stuff, more base stuff, you know, and then obviously the big expansion, like it is, it's not a live service game per se, but it is something they're going to add to in time. And then in larger Microsoft picture, this was supposed to be one of, you know, their, their biggest, most, you know, acclaimed games of the generation. And it landed and I, I think it's very solid, but that was not really the, the widespread reception to it. I think a lot of Xbox fans are very happy with it, which is great, but I, I don't think it's that game changer. I think Xbox does theoretically want to put up a game of the year contender almost every year, like PlayStation usually does, like Nintendo usually does. And, you know, we're, we're still early on in this process, but so far, you know, they, they haven't really done that. Maybe in a different year, maybe they would have done it. But I, I do think that you know, Starfield, as much as I may personally like it, has not really hit a lot of the goals, I believe, that they probably set for that game, both Bethesda and Microsoft. So, sorry, that's my long-winded... No, no that's great. Like, I, I tend to agree, and, like, I'm also someone who... I gave it 9 out of 10 in our review scale. I think I said, I think I said on the podcast, and I think I might have said to you, Rand, that I would have given it 8.5, I think, if I could have done, but our system doesn't allow for it. And part of that is because... Yeah, I I do feel like it didn't do enough, and it was jarring because I was coming I was coming out of Baldur's Gate three, I was playing Baldur's Gate three hardcore into that review, and I remember having a like mentally adjust to it. Like I had to sort of put myself in the mindset of like, okay, I'm back playing Oblivion, you know, which at the time was great, but. The fact that I had to sort of adjust to it, you know, like when you're playing like a retro game or something like 
you go back and play like Final Fantasy VII. Recently, I, I played through Sonic Hill 2 again. And at the time, Sonic Hill 2 was great. But my modern standards, it's like, yeah, this is it's rough. Voice acting is bad. And I kind of have to adjust to it. But the, Starfield had a lot of issues like that in it. Like, and I, you, you kind of like, you have to accept the compromises and you have to sort of intellectualize some of the compromises like you know the fact that the npcs aren't motion captured because how could they how could they do it you know there's there's millions of npcs in the game there's no way they could motion capture all of them and they went back to that like um you know first person view cam for the for the uh the conversations which does not present the npcs in a very flattering way and they did that because they wanted it to seem old school, and they wanted it to seem like old school Bethesda again, and coming out of Fallout 76, like you said. And I think they were, they were too focused on trying to seem old school to the point where it sort of made, them, made it feel like they'd gone backwards in some ways. So there, there are a lot of those issues which I kind of I grew to accept by adjusting to it. I think a lot of critics and other people just couldn't accept it and didn't want to accept it. And I, I completely get that personally, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I do feel like it's unfair that, I mean, it is what it is. And you're right that it did have, it was carrying the weight of the Xbox brand on it and all the, all the criticism that Xbox had over the recent, the recent years, but it's, it's almost like, <laughs> it just feels unfair that Bethesda had to sort of do that because when they started out developing that game, they weren't thinking like, "Oh God, this game has to be has to be the thing that saves Xbox's image," you know. But it sort of became that, like unfairly so. I think it, um, it was kind of unavoidable, though. I mean, if you agree to be bought by Xbox for $7 billion or whatever, mm -hmm. and you are suddenly their flagship studio, this is before Activision, and you are working on your next big game when your previous big games were Skyrim and Fallout 3 and 4, like either Game of the Year winners or top choices potentially, like you're, you kind of inevitably find yourself in that situation, you know, whether it's fair or not. And like, obviously, you know, from here, Xbox has a bunch of future releases, but those are much more, those are question marks because it's like nobody really knows how Fable's going to go or Perfect Dark's going to go. But you would have, you know, it, it seemed like there was something of like a sure thing. Like, okay, Bethesda's making a, a giant single player RPG. Like at baseline, that has to be good, right? <laughs> and yeah. it, it was good. It just wasn't like stunning in a year where there were so many things that were stunning. So here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I, I do think maybe Microsoft thought the game would review higher, right? Like, I, I think they probably thought this will easily give us a game of the year nom. So I, I agree with you in that aspect in the, in the sense that, like, they thought it would do better in that regard. Um, I don't know, like, how much better it really could have done, like, player base-wise. Uh, because, you know, it was number two on Xbox for, you know, over a month. And even now, two over two months later, it's number eight most played among all the big live service games and it's still doing pretty well on steam so even like if it was a 90 rated game i'm not sure that would have translated into higher placement i guess or that many more people playing it because i think it i think it 
I think it did what it want they wanted it to do, maybe like the lower end, but it didn't like do the extra push of like, oh well, we have a game of the year nominee, so more you know. But I still think it did, at least from what I have been hearing, like they're very happy with what it what it did do. Um, you yeah, know, I and mean, then player based stuff. Like I I think it is a success in in that area. Like you're saying, I think it has done the numbers that maybe Microsoft wanted it to do. But we're also in this weird phase now where this is the biggest release, I would say, that has happened in the day one Game Pass era. Yeah. So we don't really know. Like if we, you know, would this have outsold, you know, Fallout 3 or, or Skyrim at launch if it was, you know, just launching like a normal Bethesda game? We won't really know. We just have weird numbers like, oh, it is ranked number two, even though we don't have exact numbers for what that means. Or it caused the most single-day signups for Game Pass, even though we don't know what those numbers are. So it, it's hard to gauge success because Microsoft won't really tell us the success outside of kind of nebulous uh, praise or, or figures like that. Yeah. No, you. That, that is one thing I, I I do appreciate about PlayStation is they let their numbers fly, so you can look at like their strengths and their weaknesses, right? Like, man, look how many consoles they sell. But then it's like, ooh, look at those margins, though. Yeeks. You know, like, uh, where Xbox, where it seems like Microsoft is protecting Xbox. and they. But then again, like, the investors don't give a shit about <laughs> Xbox. You listen to those financial calls, nobody asked about Xbox. Nobody asked about Activision. It's like, they don't care. So it's like, the investors don't care about how much, what Xbox is doing so Microsoft doesn't report the numbers. Um... Although you are right in the sense that it was the biggest because now Microsoft owns Activision and well, now they have Call of Duty and all these other things. So, uh, you know, maybe... They won't report that either, though. <laughs> no, they probably won't either. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're probably not happy with the review scores of Modern Warfare 3 at this point um, either. Cause, but then again, I don't even know. Does that even matter? Or, you know, like does that whole it matter? thing is so weird. Yeah, I because I I wrote about that. It's got these crazy low user scores, crazy low critic scores. But all of these people are like, no, it's great. Multiplayer is amazing. Like yeah. everyone doesn't know what they're talking about. So I'm I'm deeply confused about that whole thing. Well, like I I have someone I'm weird. As Jez will tell you, I play Call of Duty well, every year, but I only play the campaign. I do not care about how'd the that. Go this year. <laughs> the campaign was extremely lacking, and it felt like they ran out of time. Or it's almost. It's almost like kind of knowing what Jason Schreier reported about how this game was made in like less than a year and a half. It's almost sort of amazing that what they are able to do in that time frame. But in comparison to other Call of Duty games, like it's by far the worst. It's like those six open combat missions where they just have war zone maps <laughs> and they drop you in there and they have objectives. It's just, it, it just screams to me like we just didn't have time to do it. It's like, and I, I think the critic scores are mostly based on that. I don't think most of the critic scores are based on like we put 50 hours into the multiplayer because like it's yeah. too soon for that to even happen. So that is my guess as to what happened there. And I don't know, user scores are a whole other thing, but yeah, but it's but it's weird because like even even like the regular Call of Duty levels aren't as good as they previously were. They aren't as many uh, set piece moments. The levels are kind of short, so it screams to me that. You know, like they just didn't have any time to make it. But then you think about it is like this campaign matter in Call of Duty. It's going to be the multiplayer where the game lives or dies. And it seems people like it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's Call of Duty is kind of transcended 
criticism. You know, like game journalists could give it one out of ten. I don't think it'd matter because it's kind of gotten to that point where it's like a FIFA or a you know NBA two K or like a WWE game or whatever where people will buy it year in year out or Sonic even. You know, it doesn't matter about a Sonic game is there is a cohort of people that will always buy the Sonic game and it's Call of Duty is like that but on a completely different scale. And I That's think that's true, like, and yet you still want like the quality to not drop too much because like, okay, let's say, you know, call of duty makes a billion dollars a year, no matter what, like, that's amazing. But if you're Microsoft and you just bought it, do you want it to start suddenly making $650 million a year? It gets much worse. Like I I still think you don't want to see that slide. No, for sure. And I think like as well, like, whereas like with FIFA, there's not a huge amount of competition with football games. There is a lot of other shooters you could potentially play. And like, it only takes like maybe two or three bad releases for people to maybe consider the competition. And I'm sure like, you know, there's all, (laughs) I'm a battlefield guy. Right. And I've, I've sort of, I've given up on battlefield ever, you know, being the game. I believe in Vince bringing it back. Jazz. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the hope. Right. But after like battlefield five and battlefield 2042 wherever it's called i've just completely bounced off battlefield and i've just kind of like accepted that the battlefield that i wanted battlefield to be just doesn't exist anymore for whatever reason but then there's things like the finals which is generating a lot of hype coming out next year and you know you have to wonder like is there is there you know and and they're also teasing timefall you know like could could timefall be the get Timefall 3 ironically be the game that everyone sort of like bounces off Call of Duty for next year if though if those like teases pan out to be something Microsoft has to be sort of I, I, I would hope that Microsoft isn't being complacent about this stuff even if like the engagement's there and people are like you know yeah, yeah we'll, we'll buy it anyway and stuff like that and you know people do say the multiplayer is good you know like the, the people who actually play Call of Duty say it's good you know streamers and whatever so maybe maybe all of this discussion is just well, yeah. just doesn't matter, i had a quick but... tangent for paul on this since we're talking about call of duty sure. because me and me and jazz have discussed this uh quite a bit on xbox too um what do you think microsoft should do with cod should they keep it as is or should they go every other year because to me I think it's pretty apparent that putting out a brand new Call of Duty game every single year is no longer feasible. 100% they should go every other year. I They've already sort of hinted at this early in the process. I don't, There was some like talk about that, but they were talking about, you know, what happened with Activision? Every single Activision studio, major and minor, was fed into the Call of Duty machine. And I think Microsoft wants to take some of those out and develop other Activision IPs or old IPs or whatever and bring them back and it has become very apparent yeah you're right like the past few years they can't do that and i i don't think microsoft is going to be like the taskmaster overlords that activision was where things have gotten just so screwed up in the last few years like they will only make black ops and modern warfare games like i think you want to make an advanced warfare sequel like no you're making a modern warfare sequel in 16 months like mm-hmm. i cannot see microsoft doing that and like what i've <laughs> You know, the general sense I feel after the acquisition is is kind of relief where <laughs> where Activision employees like seem to think that Microsoft is going to be better than, you know, good old Bobby Kotick and not make them do stuff like that. And because of the way this works, where 
Call of Duty is now, you know, it will be a, a Game Pass property, and eventually it's not, they're not really going to be banking on a bazillion sales. They just want it to be a really, really attractive part of Game Pass, most likely. I don't think they'll care as much about it being an annual installment, and I think that they'd be fine with, okay, we're doing one big game, and then maybe maybe a couple of updates, big updates for it, you know, by by the following fall, but they're going to, you know, go back to every other, because almost every other franchise at this point has realized you can't just do, you know, yearly installments of something forever. Like, Assassin's Creed realized that a while ago, and it's it feels like it has to be the path forward or else the brand is just going to get increasingly more and more damage. I don't know when that'll start. Probably not. I mean, they might get out another one next year, but long term, yes, I absolutely believe that's what they should be doing and probably will do. Yeah, I agree see, with you on that. See, my 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 gut tells me that the the entire business model and the, the cash flow expectation for the Call of Duty operation, I kind of feel like all those devs and what they're being paid and, and all that kind of stuff, doesn't it depend on the annual annualized retail release? Like, I'm I'm kind of feeling like if they do take some of these studios out, it's gonna really impact their cash flow, wouldn't it? Like we we're talking we're talking billions of dollars of cash flow potentially being impacted here. And I mean, they could offset it maybe by giving I suppose like the games and longer lifespan and maybe like instead of instead of doing a one year live service they do like a two year live service or whatever and it's not like the call of but it's not like today's call of duty games just stop getting developed after a year like they they still get DLC like even the ones that are like the the previous years game I don't know but it, I I think something but does but have if to anyway, give, if anyone but... could provide that you know, backup support, it's probably Microsoft. Activision by itself almost certainly couldn't do that because Activision's like main export besides, you know, mobile games was Call of Duty, where, you know, now that Microsoft has bought it, it was a big purchase, it's a big game, but it has the entire backing of Microsoft as a company. And as you said, no one even cares about Xbox for for the investor, you know, portion of things. So if they have to eat into Call of Duty profits to reinvigorate the call of duty brand and make it a big flagship make it you know go back to the glory days i think that is something that they would eat in favor of just grinding out year after year after year the way they are i mean maybe not maybe they do want to do the whole you know for printing battle passes and money and and endless stuff forever but i think you could still keep most of that i still think you can do seasons you know all throughout the year or whatever it's just that you don't need the big you know, well, increasingly small release of like the new game. I mean, even this year they practically did it. You can carry over all your guns and stuff. So it, it's it's almost like a new a new game in, in name only, and the, this in a, in a sense has already started. So that's how I could see mm. it going forward. Where they they keep developing it live, yeah, because you kind of have to do that with shooters now. But you could still alternate. You know, two years for Modern Warfare, two years for Black Ops, etc. Yeah, I, didn't I mean, realize even you Bobby, all your guns over. Yeah, this was the first one because it's because it's in the same launcher. For the first time ever, it was like, all right, you launched the Call of Duty launcher. It's Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3, so everything carries over. I wonder if the next Call of Duty, which supposedly is a Treyarch's game next year, will also be in this launcher. Where Oh my god, that would be so bad. 
Right. I mean, but it'd be it, four hundred it, gig then. Modern Warfare Four. There we go. I'm just saying, like, well, I, I don't know if you've got to the end of this Modern Warfare Three, but story's not concluded, which says to me, Infinity Ward. Whenever they're up again, they're probably doing Modern Warfare Four. I'm sure they are. I just, I would hope it's not next, like October. <laughs> oh no! I mean, I would imagine. I, w- I would think Treyarch's doing a Black Ops, a Black yeah, Ops yeah. game. I, no, I, I'm, I'm sure game. they'll they'll do a sequel to this that hopefully does not suck, but. <laughs> Yeah, that, but that would I'm be very much of I'm fun. very much of the opinion that it, they should release every other year because it gives the st- studios a lot more time. Maybe it could free up even some of them from, you know, there are rumors that Infinity Ward's making a second game right now that they're making some sort of RPG or shooter RPG or something, and that Beanox, who just had a complete rebrand. Which is odd to me if you're a Call of Duty support studio and that's all you do. Why do you need to rebrand your studio? I mean, there's rumors that they're making like Spyro 4 and, and stuff like that. So I, I, I sort of, because I'm not, obviously when Microsoft bought them, they they would know what's, what Activision's 5 to 10 year plan is, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I figure like Bobby Kotick even mentioned like they got to do more than Call of Duty, uh, right? And it's one of those things where they probably couldn't do it themselves, but with Microsoft you can because Microsoft has all, you know, Bethesda and all their Xbox game studios were... You know, okay, one year you don't have COD, but that year you have a new Doom or you have a new Gears or something where at least there's, where if you were just Activision, you wouldn't have that and your investors would be pissed and your stock price would have fallen through the floor. But with Microsoft, maybe you can, maybe you can uh, salvage it. But uh, I want to go back to, so I want to, I want, I want to get Paul's uh, answer to this about uh, the Xbox tax, Paul, (laughs) because I mentioned Call of Duty. And, you know, usually, you know, reviews decently, not great, and it hasn't reviewed great since, like, you know, the OG games, right? Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, and stuff like the Black Ops games. But this year's game, 50s, right? IGN gave it a 4. Uh, and it's just like, oh, so, you know, Microsoft now owns it. Is it is it open season to <laughs> finally rate Call of Duty low? And then Starfield... Uh, rated extremely low. Uh, well, not extremely low, but lower than people thought. Only gets one nod. Best RPG, not even a game of the year nod. Hi-Fi Rush, five nominations. Uh, one of the highest uh, of the whole group, but no game of the year nod. Um, a lot of people talk about the Xbox tax in the sense that there are outlets or people within outlets <laughs> that have a either uh, a conscious by bias or an unconscious bias against Xbox products, whether through just disliking it in general or whether through their uh, dislike of Xbox and their acquisition spree, uh, that they are going to stick it to Xbox from that point on and review their games <laughs> low. An example being Metro and their review of Hi-Fi Rush, where they said they wanted to review it higher but couldn't because... Uh, Xbox games just weren't very good recently, so they had to rate it low. And I know you 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 saw that because someone tweeted that to you. Um, so what do you what do you think about this Xbox tax thing? Is it real? Is it made up? Is it make believe? Is there some truth to it? I'm I'm very curious. It is not real. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. I I can't I can't entertain this idea. Like I have spent ten years, you know hearing everyone say how how biased the industry is against one company or another and and for me personally 
everyone only remembers the last thing you wrote. Like one day I'm an Xbox, one day I'm a Sony pony, uh, just depending on whatever I criticize last. And no, no one, you know, if you looked at my grand scope, I've written 200 negative Xbox articles and 200 negative PlayStation articles probably. In this case, there are, there could be specific individuals or specific outlets that do not like Xbox as much as other formats. Um, Metro, that was a deeply stupid thing to say, and I would not take them seriously. If they if they have said something like that, no, I would not take Metro's Xbox reviews seriously. But they are on the the panel. For the, for They're the on the panel, awards. but like, you know, also on Metacritic, we have how many sites that are True. Xbox enthusiasts or PlayStation enthusiasts, and... You know, I think some of those could be a little in favor of one company over another. So it, it's sort of an industry thing. But I will absolutely push back against this notion that as a whole, the gaming industry is, you know, anti Xbox or anti PlayStation. And especially, especially even if you have publicly criticized Xbox's acquisition strategy or whatever, I believe there's almost no one in this industry that would purposely knock points off of a review of of something just because it's xbox and they don't like their big acquisitions or you know whatever like i i can't take one stupid quote from metro or one tweet from one journalist one time about how they don't like something with xbox to be like there is an xbox tax in the industry and like you know Jez just said he he would would have given starfield an 8.5 <laughs> yeah, and they, it yeah. has a meta score of an 83 like you should have seen jazz when he first started playing that game he he hated every second of that game <laughs> the he intro, was like this game, the this start game's of that game is so bad the, the intro yeah, to that game is bad. really the intro bad it's very bad yes <laughs> so like, i was like i, mean. I was like it's oh like, god they've, they've fucked it <laughs> like, <laughs> like you guys have an xbox podcast and yet i i would believe in your integrity enough where if you were reviewing PlayStation games, you're not just docking two points <laughs> because you're more in favor of Xbox or something. And that well, is... Jez doesn't play PlayStation games. I, he doesn't, I, finish, I, any, he yeah. doesn't finish any games. I'm the I only one who actually... I reviewed two PlayStation games, and I, get, I gave them both... I think I gave one 9 out of 10, the other 10 out of 10. So... I'm the only one who actually plays the PlayStation <laughs> games, and I'm the only actually one who finishes them. And... I, review, I reviewed no. them for Android Central when Android Central agree... decided to cover PlayStation had... for some reason. I've had this conversation multiple times with, uh, I think you know him, uh, Lord Cognito. Yeah. Um, and we go back and forth about this because I'm a, like, when I play a game, I'm not thinking about who made it. So when I played Spider-Man 2 and I'm like going about it and thinking about my thoughts on it, I'm not thinking consciously being like, you know, this game really is a nine, but because it's PlayStation, it's a seven, right? Nobody thinks that. <laughs> like, you know, but 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 at the same time, Metro does. I can't, but like, I cannot take one <laughs> sentence that is stupid or one person who said something dumb and apply it to the whole industry. Like, I get that this is social media, and you will have that quote, and it will be retweeted ten thousand times, and every time this issue comes up, people will spam that quote and be like, "This exists, <laughs> this exists." But like, you cannot take it seriously that. Because Metro, where I don't think I've ever met read a Metro review, no offense, Metro, like that applies broadly to like the entire industry. I, I can't get behind that narrative. I think a lot of a lot of people don't realize that Metro is a subsidiary of the Daily Mail, which is an out, outrage and bait factory. So like they they purposefully say things like that. 
to make yeah exactly like there there are industry trolls like like lately you know the whole gym acquisition thing giving everything a four like i do not think you should take reviews like that seriously because they do in fact seem specifically designed to provoke outrage but that is again one example of that happening and i do not believe that happens you know at a large scale across the industry every time you see something like this there will probably be some one or two really low scores or whatever that seem totally out of place but again it is is a minimal fraction of the industry where that happens and not something we see overall yeah because this this is a conversation that happens quite a bit uh sometimes where things don't go uh, the way X, some Xbox fans wanted wanted to, like a lot of Xbox fans had this idea in their head that Starfield was going to be game of the generation. And for some, it might be. I love Starfield after, you know, the beginning, but like I ended up giving it a nine because I, I love the main story in that game, right? Like I was so, I, I know you're like a sci-fi writer and I read a lot of sci-fi books. I couldn't believe what they were doing in that game with that main story thread. Um, Granted, yeah, yeah. some of it, some of it, some of it's very tropey. I liked but, it until know, but... the new game plus thing, where I don't think a game like that should wipe all your progress, even if it is quote serving the story. But that's a whole other. Thing. Yeah, I actually kind of like the fact that it is serving the story, though. I mean, I but I'm not someone who's going to keep on playing Starfield. Like I beat the game, and then right. I'm on to the next game, and I'm on to the next game. Um, but for some people, it will be the game of generation because it will get expansions. It will get uh updates it will get mods and you know if you if you look at like all the games that came out this year or at least all the games not for, nominated for game of the year you could make an argument starfield's going to be played the longest out of all those like you it's five possible. years from now starfield is probably going to nobody's going to be playing resident evil 4 because they'll be playing resident evil 9 and the remake of resident evil 5 at that point right uh, maybe people will still be playing Baldur's Gate three if it gets content. Baldur's Gate but... is like one playthrough is like three hundred hours, so yeah, you might be on that. Yeah, but I mean, like when you look at it, like the one that's probably gonna have the most staying power out of all those games is gonna be Starfield. You know, like I can yeah, see a, yeah. a future Paul Tassi article two years from now being like Starfield two years later, <laughs> still number twenty two no, on the Xbox absolutely. charts or whatever. I will, I will come back for every content drop that game makes because obviously I liked it a lot. And I, I do think it is the type of game that is going to keep adding to itself in time. Again, not as a live service, but yeah, you're right. I, I do think Bethesda is invested in it for the long haul as they are still, you know, making Elder Scrolls. Yeah. So there's there's part of me where it's like, does it matter that Starfield didn't get a Game of the Year nomination? And it's like, I'm sure they would have loved it. Xbox would have loved to have that and like, hey, put it out there on a tweet or whatever. And I'm sure Todd and the team would have loved the recognition but I think as for like the health of the game, I'm not sure it matters. I'm not really sure it matters for most games anyways. I think maybe it matters for smaller games. Like I think it matters for It Takes Two, like when it won Game of the Year in 2021. But like I don't really think it matters for the Zelda or the uh, you know um, the the Spider-Man 2. Those games are huge regardless. Like Spider-Man 2 would be just as big if it wasn't nominated for game there as it, as it is, am, am I, am I kind of off base on that? I, I think that's right. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's any data to show that game of the year nominees get some like crazy sales boost or, or something after that. Cause you know, most of these games came out months and months ago. I mean, a couple of them were weeks ago, but you know, they, they've made their mark already and it doesn't really matter. And then obviously you have counter examples like Hogwarts legacy, zero nominations, probably the best selling game of the year. And so it, it's it's not really a linked stat. I, I think it is more 
of a bragging rights thing, a perception thing. Like, if Nintendo has two Game of the Year nominees every year, it's like, wow, Nintendo is still really on their game and still really knows what they're doing and haven't lost a step. If Microsoft has consistently zero Game of the Year nominations, that's a different narrative, and Microsoft still needs to work on their first-party offerings. Microsoft has this to do. But it's the specific game, like for Starfield specifically, a nomination or no nomination wouldn't change anything just for that you know, specific game or cause some huge surge in players. You're right. Right. Um, well, how about this line of thinking? Because I, I saw some people talking about this. It was like, you have outlets that all right. Xbox first party needs to do better. Why aren't there any game of the year nominees? And then those same outlets vote on the game of the year nominees and don't, don't vote for any Xbox games. And then they can write an article. Xbox still has no game of the year nominees. What's going on with Xbox? You know, I mean, like kind of that's sort of the cog in the wheel thing. Like the individual person writing that article, maybe their outlet has a vote. Maybe that specific person does not have a vote. Like at IGN, like the IGN bosses have a vote, but like the IGN news writer who's writing that article doesn't have a vote necessarily. And like, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it not true. Like if someone, even if it was the person who reviewed Starfield and they gave it an eight and they, they wrote that article, it's not like they're saying like, they, they're like, aha, I caused this. Cause I, I didn't like the game. Like, again, I don't, I don't think it's sabotage. Like they're not, they're not planning like, okay, I'm going to review the game low and then I'm going to say the game's doing bad. And like, it's, it's a wider thing. Cause if one person gives it an eight and everyone else gives it a 10, like it doesn't, your narrative isn't going to work. So you can't really plan things like that. Like I can write the, you're essentially describing exactly what happened to me where I rated the game really high, but I'm still writing articles about Xbox has to do better. The Starfield means, you know, they, they have to up their game in the first party department. And I, I, I think you can hold both of those thoughts in your head at the same time. Right. I, I, we do have a question along those lines uh, from Omen, who says, my question is this to Paul. What announced Xbox games do you think have a solid chance of actually winning Game of the Year? Personally, I think winning. Fable might be the only in game the I foresee having a slot. Like, in the future. Like, the future announced games that we kind of, like, danced around a little bit. Like, I guess he's asking, he wants to know what what of these announced games do you think has the best chance at that is a good question, and that is part of my <laughs> my argument where it's like I am, you know, trying to picture into the future, you know, years, years forward, what is coming out. And, you know, I, I think obviously the development team behind Fable is is excellent and they produce excellent stuff in the past. I don't know how their, you know, Forza experience will necessarily translate into Fable, which I I loved the Fable games, but those were d- decades ago at this point. So it just seems it seems so premature to be like okay, Fable's like a game of the year winner, potentially, this early, no, seeing one cinematic trailer about it. Like, I love the series, I hope it's really good, but I think we're going to need a lot more than what we've seen from pretty much all these games. I mean, we've seen very, you know, practically nothing from Perfect Dark, practically nothing from Fable, a little bit from Avowed. And so, like, the only one I'd even be safe saying, you know, probably for game of the year uh is is elder scroll 6 which is a million years away and that's again just because you assume that's going to be good and you assume bethesda will deliver there there could be some surprises maybe hellblade 2 is just absolutely out of this world incredible and you know i i assume something like that will will get a best performance nomination obviously or whatever but you know a lot of things you can't see coming like i no one ever saw hi-fi rush coming and that is the most nominated xbox game of the year and it, it could have been a game of the year contender so, but of the announced games, I, that's kind of one of the issues. Like it is, we don't know enough about so many of these 
to say like, oh, that's definitely a game of the year front runner this early. And I, I would say outside of Elder Scrolls Six. But again, now we have a little bit of questions about you know what Bethesda will be doing differently that time around, so they don't run into kind of the same issues we've seen here. I think Elder Scrolls Six obviously has a really good shot because I think people people will go to that game and they'll be like, ah, it's the gameplay loop that I love that wasn't really in Starfield. That you know, of like I'm gonna go run to this mountain and in between I'm gonna have a lot of these different emergent events. That necessarily didn't dense. happen too much in Starfield, right? Mm-hmm. So I think people will be like, ah, it's come, it's come back to what we love. But in the near term, I think Hellblade 2 is award bait. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think it'll secure nominations. I, I would be very surprised if it won Game of the Year. Like, Well, I mean, if it's coming out next year and Grand Theft Auto's coming out, well, then no. We, yeah, we can't. <laughs> Any year Grand I, mean, Theft I love the way we're just assuming the Grand Theft Auto is Game of the I'm, Year. Hey, they talk about in their financial reports that it's coming in the next fiscal year. Granted, it could be delayed, but I'm just saying... What if you it's know, bad, like, though? If it might be terrible. No? It doesn't matter. I mean, Dan Hauser <laughs> did... What if I told you GTA Five is actually not as amazing? <laughs> That's everyone thinks. That's oh, my man. personal opinion. Oh, but like, it, it doesn't matter. Matter. was it, it doesn't that amazing? Matter. But it was it was amazing <laughs> in 2013, though. Yeah, maybe not necessarily now. It was compared to the competition back then, but it is like I don't. For me personally, it's not like one of my top games, despite how how popular it's been over the years. So I, right. the, the point is, is like I don't even know. I I don't know if GTA 6 can fail. Like it is kind of impossible in a way that I don't think was necessarily true with Starfield and Bethesda. Like. It just, it doesn't seem, you know, we have all these leaks too, like unlike past games, like we have seen a good portion of what this is probably going to be like. And I I would be shocked if it failed in any noticeable capacity. Right. Um, When I mentioned earlier, best community support, (laughs) and I kind of laughed about Bungie, you said, you said you, you, you were going to talk about that a little bit later. So I figured, why not now? Like, so... (laughs) The whole Bungie situation, I know you're really kind of like clued in, plugged in and all that stuff. What's going on with, with everything? Like, so, Yeah, there, there's, there's sort of two angles here, where the first angle is about the layoffs and how they relate to this award, and then there's the question of, did they deserve a nomination in the first place? Isn't their support terrible now? Like, So the main, the main story was that they got this nomination uh, two weeks after these mass layoffs, Layoffs that included large chunks of their community team, including like their most forward-facing community managers, uh, who immediately took to Twitter to very vocally uh, talk about how ridiculous this was. And so did some of Bungie's past community members that indicated when they did win in 2019, it was not very much appreciated that the Destiny bosses accepted the community support award instead of any of the community members. And then the community team was chastised for celebrating that they won within the company. Uh, so that all sucks. And it's kind of this just, it's, it's like a sick joke in the Destiny community that they would lay all these people off and that is the one award Destiny 2 was nominated for. Um, that's one angle. The other angle is, oh, did they deserve it? Aren't they bad? It's what we learned through the layoffs, like kind of behind the scenes was that, you know, communication has been spotty, has been worse over the past year or two. But a lot of that is it's, it's the management who just did all these layoffs sort of dictating what was or was not able to be shared and not on the community team who desperately wanted to inform people of things that they were asking about. And then that they were taking all this feedback from the community, giving it to management in droves, like really laying out all these player concerns. And then management was just like, 
we're not doing that and would, would delay additions or just negate things that were suggested. So I, I think this perception that Destiny had, you know, bad community support, if that was the case, I, I think it was still the community team really, really trying their best behind the scenes. But Bungie management, which has been a problem for a long time, um, was was kind of the main reason things had gotten kind of bad in that department. So at, looking at on on the face, I kind of get why people might say that, but I, I think it's a more nuanced situation than most people would know. Yeah, usually everything is. Um, how do you think the uh, Bungie relationship is with PlayStation right now? Not great. Not great, yeah. <laughs> is my guess. Um, I think PlayStation was very overly ambitious, assuming that they could bring Bungie in, and not only would Destiny just print money indefinitely, uh, easy peasy, but that Bungie could somehow teach all of its single-player studios to make live service games. Uh, not only is you know everyone making live service games a bit on the downturn now because of how many failures there are, but we have seen so, so many examples of really great first party or single player studios uh, trying to branch into live service games as service and just utterly failing and then going back to, to single player games again. And Sony trying to do that with essentially all of their studios does not seem like a recipe uh, to do well. Um, and like, you know, even if Uncharted or Last of Us had a multiplayer mode, there is a big difference between that and creating a live service where you want people playing last of us factions year round and it's just it was kind of an impossible ask of bungie but then bungie was simultaneously really really struggling with their own problems and one thing that came out was if sony had not bought them the current problems with destiny and the the revenue misses may have just tanked bungie as a company altogether so they have their own problems which i'm so sure sony is not thrilled about and then also their quote-unquote job of getting all these other studios to make amazing live service games is is I, I don't imagine that's going terribly well, as evidenced by the fact that Sony just delayed half of those planned games, you know, a week ago. You think that you think those half of their planned games that they delayed, you think those end up just being canceled? Or is it just too, too much more? Is there, or is it just too much money that's been invested where it's like, no? S- like some of can't. them they will have to cut, I, I'm sure. Like, we, we don't know the, I'm sure it's a wide range of budgets, but they're not going to come out with, with, 12 i i don't think in any meaningful capacity like again there was no there was not even a timeline set for the last six they're just like in the future and so, so i'm sure just naturally a lot of those are, are not going to get made so like when you look at like, like the six that they talk about right and people try to figure out do you do you have an inkling what they are i mean like okay one's hell divers two right you would assume mm-hmm. um i would imagine mlb the new mlb but then yeah. i would imagine like wouldn't that MLB wouldn't that be for this year's MLB and then next year's MLB and the year next year's MLB? So is that like is that like three of the six games as, right there? Probably counts as one. So you think the MLB games. games just count as one and not like I would three? Think so um, I think one of them is definitely marathon. Marathon. Uh, I, I really know Bungie wants to get that out by 2025, but again, that's a multi-platform game, which was like part of Bungie's you know contract with with Sony, but so. That would be, I guess, maybe less of a benefit if a Sony-only game took off. But Bungie has another game in the works. It's like Codename Gummy Bears. It sounds like Fall Guys to me. I I have no idea the timeline for that one. My guess is that's probably not uh, one of those. But there's that Horizon live service game where 
it's like Fortnite animation. Yeah, and, and I think Sumo was factions. making it, right? Or, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with factions. It seems crazy for me to think that they're going to throw too, too much money down that hole uh, instead of having Naughty Dog just like focus really hard on their next, you know, amazing Naughty Dog game. Uh, but that that could be a case of like they've invested too much and they have to just see it through to the end. Um, but again, the problem is with live service, you can't just launch a game and then, oh, it fails, like too bad. Like you have plans, future content that you essentially have to release. Like you have to give it time to try and take off. So it's it's even more of kind of a pain to try and launch a live service and have it slowly wither on the vine and die over time. Like just ask, you know, Bioware and Anthem or... Uh, crystal dynamics and avengers so it's it's a different kind of failure when you do that with live service games so for some of these it may be better to not even just go through that process in the first place yeah because you had a tweet not that long ago questioning sony's strategy which got you labeled an xbot because anytime you say anything uh and you were like hey they're doing really great right now like all their metrics are like we're selling all these consoles we're making all this money but then it's like behind the scenes it sort of seems Jim Ryan's gone. Connie Booth gets fired. The, so the games weird. as a service, the games as a service strategy seems to be blowing up in their face. Um, and you were like, I think you, your tweet was basically like, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Like, I mean, do, you know, do, do you, I guess the question some people have is like with Jim Ryan, do you think Jim Ryan retired? Cause there's still that kind of positioning, especially what the CEO said recently. That it's sort of, seems like he might have been pushed out or i it's it's hard to tell i mean when when you have the the class of executives that's you know of a certain age you can never tell if someone just wants to retire to just get rid of the headaches and go hang out on their yacht or if it's someone being pushed out the kind connie booth thing sounded like she got fired somehow jim ryan i don't know i feel like that's a coin flip but like to answer your question i mean fundamentally yeah i i think sony is facing some real challenges because one thing they do very well is they make these single-player games that sell really well, that are really well-acclaimed, and yet the, the budgets for those games are crazy. <laughs> and a game like Spider-Man, uh, you sell a bunch of $70 copies. It's one of, I think it's the fastest-selling exclusive or something. I don't know. It, it was like the really fastest-selling well. in one day, right, 2.5 right, right. million, but when they announced 5 million 11, it couldn't have been because God of War Ragnarok did 5.1 in 5. Sure. Yeah. So either either of those though, but like yeah. the point is like neither of those games have any live elements. They do not have any microtransactions, which arguably makes them much better games because it would be terrible if in Spider Man you had to buy all of the freaking suits, but that comes at a cost because you have that seventy dollar price point and that is all you get outside of selling an expansion or something. So Sony is like, okay, well we can't just live on this forever. So you know what makes a lot of money? Live service games. Uh, so we're going to invest 60% of our budget in live service games. But like everyone looks at this as an easy button where, well, live service games make more money. So this is, you know, a goldmine. But the failure rate, like the, the ask for players to invest in another live service game when you really can only do one or two live service games at a time in like the whole industry. Like the, the time they demand from you, if it's a multiplayer game to get good at it, if it's you know, destiny to keep up with the seasons, completing the battle pass, whatever, like nobody has time uh, to do more than one. So it, it's a much more competitive space. Whereas like Spider-Man, you can buy Spider-Man and beat it in two weeks and move on. Like it is not asking, you know, to take over your year or whatever. So this idea that you can just do this pivot to live service 
is is really starting to fall apart and outside of like the old guard of you know Fortnite and you know apex and the ones that did get it that did get it right it's it's tough and we see with destiny destiny is one of the most successful live service games of all time especially one with pve elements and it's struggling insanely hard right now in in the face of this really crowded market and trying to keep things fresh after literally like a decade so I, I I never thought it was wise when Sony went like, we're going to make 12 live service games in the next three years. Like that sounded insane to me from the beginning, like bungee help or no bungee help. So yeah, I, I do think they are facing problems there that are under the mask of PS5 selling really well. These games are still really good. Like there are deeper problems over there to be sure. Yeah. And so like mm-hmm. if you, I guess, would compare it to Xbox's current strategy, where like PlayStation's dominating you know uh making the most money well 10 cents making the most money but as a console manufacturer uh and they're trying to pivot to games of service but then microsoft was like well we just bought all the games of service games that are popular right now like who do you think has the better strategy moving forward well it would really help if microsoft would ever share how many game pass subscribers they had uh with yeah, that is the true two years and they won't like it was it was it was a twenty five million was January twenty twenty two I think yep, yep and in a, in in theory uh, if there was still just significant substantial growth for Game Pass that would be the better strategy because instead of you know periodically tempting someone to buy a seventy dollar game they're paying you know however many dollars a year every year for Game Pass you could see how that might be the better long term plan but. What I don't know is if all of these acquisitions, if getting Call of Duty on Game Pass, if Starfield is on Game Pass, etc., are moving the needle significantly enough to really re-spark growth. Because I think I think we all can agree that Game Pass really had its big surge during the pandemic, along with the rest of the industry. But I sure think there's a reason <laughs> that we haven't heard anything about the numbers because they, they've slowed. They have obviously slowed. Yep. And Microsoft does share numbers when they have something to really brag about. Like they Not do. <laughs> only have they slowed, but they've decoupled their executive bonuses from Game Pass yeah. milestones. <laughs> and that yeah, doesn't yeah. sound like a good sign. Um, and I, I've always, with Game Pass, I've always wondered about a ceiling because at a certain point, if you're an Xbox player, like, you know, you're going to have convinced almost everyone in the Xbox ecosystem that is going to be convinced to get Xbox Game Pass. And I, I really question how much of a growth market it is to attract either non, non-gamers, non-traditional gamers to suddenly sign up for Game Pass, perhaps without Xbox hardware, or converting, you know, Sony or Switch-only players to get Game Pass. And I know they're trying to do this with, the, you know, cloud and PC game pass and stuff, but I just don't think the massive growth potential is there or these huge percent increases are going to work. And eventually you have to wonder like, okay, we are funding enormous games with this. We are funding Starfield. We are funding every call of duty now, and you are not selling these games a box copy. I guess you're selling call of duty on PlayStation or whatever, but and at a certain point, PC, yeah. yeah, you, you yeah. have to wonder when do the budgets eclipse what you're bringing in from game pass especially if growth is slowing or you know it's it's not hitting the targets you want which i imagine it is not uh so that that's a longer term question i have even if you know the idea that moving everything to a subscription service would be more consistent revenue you know we're seeing tons and tons of problems in the streaming industry for video (laughs) 
And the fact that Microsoft is sort of chasing after that model when now all of these companies are racking up huge debt and huge losses on their own streaming services, it's not exactly equivalent, but you know, it's it's a similar model that could run into similar issues. And like I don't think it's like disaster mode right now, but I, I certainly think it's something to consider moving forward. That yeah, I mean you're right. Strategy. Question marks because Microsoft doesn't share any of their information and it's like, well, you know, because even now people ask Phil when he goes on Giant Bomb, hey Phil, is Game Pass sustainable and profitable? And like he always says yes, but like it seems like nobody believes him. He's like, yeah, sure, right? Like, like is it one dollar profitable or is it a billion dollar, you know? Yeah. And it, but then you it's like know. you look at it like, well, I mean, like, would Sati invest seventy billion dollars in something that wasn't working already? What do you, it, Satya doesn't that's, that's seem fair. to be the person to me to let them he doesn't seem to be the type of person to throw more money after something that isn't working like he seems to me like he would just cut it right? I, don't, I don't think Microsoft can get out of gaming at this point I, I, I think Microsoft fully understands that like gaming is a giant part of like the future and just technology and how people consume entertainment it is already obviously the biggest entertainment industry so no matter what, I think they want to have a presence there because their biggest rivals don't. Google doesn't, <laughs> obviously. Uh, Amazon has really struggled in that department. They just laid off 200 people. Layoffs, and yeah. you know, Apple's not involved really in gaming at all outside of mobile. And so, and yet they, they make they like almost all the money, though. Because <laughs> yeah. they, the, they own the store. Well, that is Apple uh, being ruthless, ruthlessly savvy with their mobile space. Don't worry, Tim Sweeney is going to... <laughs> take Apple down and solve that problem. So, so wait, you you didn't believe Phil when when those uh, when Xbox leaked their own documents uh, and and it came out from those depositions that hey we might be gone by 2027. You know, I it, I would just be surprised. Yeah, if if they ever fully killed Xbox, I, I I don't think that's in the cards. Like as much as I have this or that issue with first party or Game Pass or whatever, it it would just really stun me if. Maybe they'll significantly change how it works. Maybe they will stop making consoles one day. Like, who knows? But I, w- I would be shocked if they just fully got out of gaming and we suddenly had a Sony Nintendo <laughs> market or something. If anything, I feel like more people will, will figure out ways to get into gaming than what we see now. But I would I would be very surprised. I think, like, yeah. with, with Satya, he's, he's, he's all... I mean, Paul, Paul, you're completely right where you say, like, they're in gaming because it is a big part of the technological future, and that like Phil was like, you know, quite savvy in being a Satya. Oh, we we can tie this to cloud and Azure. You know, we can sell services on GameStack, and they're doing the same now with gaming. Like, there's a um, sorry, they're doing the same with generative AI. And now they've got like a team that's looking at how to integrate AI into games, and Microsoft just announced that this past week. So I think like they'll always be in gaming, even if you know they don't make consoles, but. It is a, it's a strange, volatile market, isn't it, right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it always is, but yeah, especially, especially more than ever lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, let's see, there was, there was something that you said earlier that I wanted to circle back to. It was, um, oh, when I asked you about the Game of the Year noms, and you said that wasn't the most surprising thing. I guess I wanted to touch on what was, for you, the most surprising thing about the Game Awards? I don't know if there is <laughs> there's just anything I was I was super stunned by. I I think it's surprising how little they've tried to refine their categories and like how they're just not really changing anything, even though huge chunks of it just don't make sense. 
I wrote a whole article about how the whole category system is like totally screwed up because if you have Baldur's Gate 3 nominated for Game of the Year and in Best RPG, none of the other games have a chance. So yeah. what, why does that category exist? Or this year in Best Action Adventure, you have four of the games. Yep. <laughs> so if if Alan Wake wins that, almost certainly the other three games have no chance at Game of the exactly. Year. I, I exactly, exactly, yeah. So what is the point? <laughs> And it's it's a very strange system, but you know it's I don't know the solution either because if you if you disallow Game of the Year nominees to be in the subcategories, then and you win, you're like, ah, I am the second best RPG of the year besides Baldur's Gate. Like it's <laughs> it's 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 a strange system. But then also, yeah, cut the esports stuff, cut the creator stuff, do more performance stuff, maybe do best new IP. I I I think it needs larger overhauls than what we've seen, but. The show is just the show is enormously successful and it's growing year over year in like really big ways, like significantly big ways. It really is dwarfing like the Oscars, the Emmys, all of those in terms of its reach just because it's it's streamed and the gaming industry is so big. So Jeff's getting what he wants and there's probably no real reason for him to change it uh, significantly. And I guess some of the surprises we already talked about Starfield, um, Hogwarts Legacy, that's a whole thing with zero nominations. Yeah, what like, do you, how, do you, how do you feel about that? So, you know, at, the, the reaction is like, okay, this is a crowd that doesn't want to nominate the game because of, of J.K. Rowling, which I think is true to a certain extent. And, and yet, when you sort of look over the nomination list, that would have been a best action adventure nominee based mm-hmm. on the game it is. And yet, there were four Game of the Year contenders in that category and Jedi Survivor. So I'm like... Well, it wouldn't have, <laughs> you know, it's it's not better than those five games. And then outside of that, then what? It's, you know, maybe you get a music award or a sound, sound nomination. So ultimately, in that case, I think there were just too many games this year. And like, that had a decent meta, that had like an 84 meta score. So it's not like it was, it was totally panned by, by critics or anything. I fundamentally just think it was a very bad year for that to get awards. But it doesn't matter because it's going to sell 20 million copies in a year. So... <laughs> That is true. It's gonna. It's like currently the best-selling game of the year. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know if Modern Warfare is gonna pass it given the current situation. So I guess we'll see. I mean, the, the I I know that we always joke about the UK charts because the UK physical charts don't mean anything. Um, but it was only down twenty percent, and you know Christopher Dring said like that'll change with digital. So maybe it's even with digital included. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So maybe it's just okay. We sold as much as we did last year, and Modern Warfare Two, if I remember correctly, did pretty good. It did, yeah. Because Vanguard the year before almost, I didn't say almost destroyed Call <laughs> of Duty, but uh, people people hated great. Vanguard. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they'd say, hey, you know what? Why don't you? It took a year and a half to do Vanguard. Why don't you do the same thing and make Modern Warfare Three? And almost <laughs> the same thing happens. It's like not a. Although, not, if it sells the same, they're going to be like, well, great, that worked. So you know, it's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Um, we did have some sort of breaking news during the show, and this kind of ties into something else I wanted to talk about, but um, I see that uh, more layoffs have happened in the industry. Oh, God. Uh, Digital Bros Entertainment, which is the parent company behind publishers like 505 Games, plans to let go of 30% of their workforce. Oh, my God. It will now focus on established franchises and sequels and less on new IP due to selective post-COVID market. Selective um, post-COVID well, market. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what they say here in this thing. So more laughs in the industry after Amazon just laid off 180 people the other day and layoffs everywhere. Um, 
that people talk about this year being amazing for games as it was, but it wasn't amazing for the industry. Uh, Paul, how do you see that progressing into the future? Are we just getting to the point where they overhired during COVID and now they're basically uh, getting back to, yeah, like kind of getting back to what they should have been and maybe it won't get better in the future. There'll still be more layoffs, but I mean, like we see the companies posting record profits, right? Like all the time or record revenue, all this sort of stuff. But the, but the job layoffs keeps on happening. You You can never discount executive greed. I mean, that's true. That is in every industry, but I'll, you know, gaming is certainly not immune to that either. And yeah, some of it's, you know, COVID overhiring and stuff like that, but it's also just a lot of cold calculus for management where Bungie, for instance, they're like, well, we have to cut money. So, you know, all these people on the publishing side aren't as important as the people actually making the games. So, you know, they're willing to lay off, you know, that slate of people. Um, It's also, you know, risk reward where you can be, you can make a perfectly good game. Like I always go back to, you know, um, Eidos making Guardians of the Galaxy. That was a, that was a really good game. And yet, since it wasn't like this crazy blockbuster, it was not viewed as a real success. And then they were sold off for, you know, not pennies, but very cheap to Embracer, where I have no idea what their fate will be there. But it... Sold to Xbox, essentially. Yeah. yeah. That's my guess. I mean, that would be better than Embracer, honestly. But, uh, (laughs) so yeah, it it is, you know, the, the bigger the budget, the bigger the risk on a lot of these. So... And something like live service, live service games are very expensive to run constantly. And if they start to decline, you will not be able to fund your staff and you will have to uh, lay people off to slim costs. But I will, number one, not discount executive greed as a primary driving force behind a lot of this. Not to say that's the layoffs you just mentioned, but, you know, Amazon has not been the wisest investor in its various gaming endeavors. So that's just sort of poor decision-making on their part. Epic, the Epic layoffs were 1000% Tim Sweeney's fault for all of his stupid, stupid pursuits Mm. that he's been (laughs) doing all these lawsuits, the Epic game store. Like sometimes you can just squarely be like, this is this person's fault very clearly. So it depends, but yeah, it's, it's a very terrible year on that front to be sure. Yeah. And then there's a specter of AI, which I know, you know, has like people worried in the in the gaming industry, but also in your guys's field. Like, mm-hmm. I ain't worried. You know, you ain't worried. You ain't worried. What, no, in your last no, article, I, I can write your, by as well as me, baby. Jez, your last article, you literally <laughs> like were talking about Bing, and you like crossed out the. What was the word you crossed out to put in steel? Theft, stealing. I've yeah, repurposed. 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 And Jez had crossed it out to say steal. Um, <laughs> are you worried about the advent of AI in gaming or in journalism oh, yeah. at all? Oh, yeah. yeah. 1,000%. I mean, almost every industry needs to be worried about it to some extent. Uh, in our industry, you know, we're, we're already seeing it you know, used for in-game asset art that previously someone else would have designed. There's a lot of talk about it being used to write portions of scripts now to generate proceed this is the xbox thing generate procedural quests and, and things out of ai and and npcs we have seen it used uh where you can take a voice actor's voice uh someone recorded all of andreja's lines in starfield with uh v's voice from cyberpunk 
4,000 lines, and she was not pleased about that, but that is something you can do with this tech. Uh, in journalism, things are not great on many fronts. It's not just about, you know, people can, can hard spam AI articles, which is already happening, uh, to compete with us writing actual content. But uh, it's it's the way like someone like Google is using this tech now where this uh, I forget who shared this. I think it was someone at, at Tech Raptor uh, where yeah. if you search for a guide for something and you use Google's AI assist, it just straight up puts the guide instructions on the site and it has little little friendly links as to where it got it from. But it it literally just compiled 10, 10 sites that wrote a guide and stole it and put it <laughs> on the page with no compensation to anyone. And like, even if they're quote giving them credit, that means nothing. So you know, you you mass apply that to the whole gaming journalism industry. I don't think people understand how reliant most sites are on guide traffic. Um, maybe maybe not me and, and Forbes and everything, but like most dedicated gaming sites, the things people Google the most or want to look up the most are guides. And if suddenly Google is just stealing everyone's guides and, and printing them, no more revenue for all of these sites, uh, and it becomes this giant collapsing circle where the sites fail google has nothing to draw on and everyone just gets screwed so in our industry that is that is what i would say is the number one threat but it's it is a wider threat for everything we just had the the writer strike the actor strike ai was an enormous part of that and is not really a fully resolved issue there so uh, unless there's major legislation that you know restricts the use of the stuff uh, forces ai companies to pay people I don't see this changing, and it is hard for me to believe the government is competent enough to do something like that. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. It's not great. Yeah. Have you, you know, you being an have you actually checked out so many uh, any of these like AI books, like people that have used AI to write novels or novellas or anything? Um, I know it exists. I did not really find the need to. Uh, well, I, I was just curious. So no, I, checked I mean, one, maybe I, I checked should, one but... out and is awful i don't like that's the thing with ai is i sort of feel like it's not very good yet i mean granted it could be extremely good in 10 years but when i was reading this i felt like i was just like i was reading like a high schooler's uh you know uh, like what he was what he would write and i'm like this isn't this isn't compelling this this is just an amalgamation yeah. it, it was very bad I guess the, is the, the point I'm trying to get, you know, the problem is I, I agree that like most AI created stuff is pretty bad in most industries. The problem is, is how fast it's evolving. And if you look at like, just to use art as an example, like mid journey one, a, a year and a half ago or whatever, was like barely coherent images that were like pretty weird. And like, it was an image that you typed in and it generated something, but you know, moving from that to just a year and a half later, like not to say AI art is good or it's actual art or whatever, but the, you know the advancement in detail and the amount of stuff it's able to do and like it it is transformative. And the same will be true for video and for the written word. And like I agree that it sucks right now, but if you keep training it on bigger and bigger sets of data and it keeps getting better and better, like it's not going to get worse. It's only going to get better. So that is why I'm not really comforted by the fact that you know written AI is not good right now. Um, it is already good enough to kind of destroy public or, you know, higher education because no one needs to write a crappy book report anymore. They can just mm -hmm. feed it into, you know, ChatGPT uh, for more creative writing. Like, no, it's, I certainly don't think it's there yet, but come back in three years and who knows? So that it's still it still concerns me, even if a lot of aspects of it are bad right now. Especially for the guide writing stuff, because you don't really need like 
like when I write a news piece, I try to make it funny, right? Because I, I am a blogger at heart, and I, I write to entertain. And ChatGPT, like, I can't see ChatGPT, like, replicating me. And maybe if it does, then I can sue someone, I don't know. But, like, for a guide writing, which is pretty dry and just, you know, step-by-step -step kind of guide. Windows Central, definitely, our backbone is guide, guides for Windows, funnily enough. Um, like, the, the really ridiculously high-end guides about, you know, changing registry keys and stuff that you might never need. But we have, like, thousands of these guides dating back decades, like, since the site was made. And, um... You know, that's the backbone of our site. And Google and Bing, not that anyone uses Bing, but mostly Google, they're just stealing this content wholesale, you know. And what Microsoft um, announced recently was um, they're going to let people create their own their own GPTs, their own co-pilots, they're calling them. So, like, um, you'll be able to train, you'll be able to hand uh, an AI your internal documentation and basically train it to be support staff. And just basically you could replace your entire support staff with a chatbot, you know, GPT or whatever. Um, that'll be like absolutely devastating to the service industry. And there are countries where like, you know, 60, 70% of their, you know, GDP is call centers and the service industry. It's, it's going to be a scary decade for a lot of industries, you know. Be even beyond gaming and stuff, and it, like, it really is every industry. It's hard it to even really think of, is, yeah. of many industries it wouldn't it wouldn't touch. Honestly, it's it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be crazy. And like you say, governments are not competent enough to legislate on this. It, um, it it feels like the genie's out of the bottle, and like I just I don't know. Like the tech is there, the tech exists. Even if you make regulations against like ChatGPT or something now. You can never extract the data it already has. Like it is literally impossible <laughs> to take out stuff it has already compiled. So, mm -hmm. in some ways, you you just cannot go back at this point. Yeah, the Dude. genie's out of the bottle. Kind of like how the movie industry was like, let's put everything on on streaming and not the movies. And then now it's like, well, why won't anybody go to the movies? <laughs> it's because you put everything on streaming, like within either thirty days or two months. Like I have not been to a movie. At the at the movie theater since Joker in 2019, oh there's no point because it's where I live in Chicago. Tickets, you know, a, a, a ticket at night, you know, is like twenty two, twenty three dollars or whatever. And but like, why would I need to go to put up with other people when I have a <laughs> you know? But seriously, why would right, I want right. to go and be around all these other people with talking with with kids screaming? When I can watch it at my home for a cheaper price at my own it's leisure. Streaming, watching the Joker. No, but I'm just saying in general, <laughs> no, right? No, 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 and it's like you know, it's like hey, like I, you know, I got a 77 inch, 77 inch OLED. It's like I, you know, I'm not saying it's good as a movie projector, but it's like <laughs> we're a far cry from you know 1994 with our CRTVs, right? Well, I, I sort the of think the thing I, is, dude. Like the, the thing about this discussion is. This just happens in life. Like, a hundred years ago, there, there, there would have been a podcast or a gramophone cast or whatever, but whatever they had back gramophone then. Gramophone cast? Okay. I, I don't yeah. know what the technology was back then. I didn't take history at school, but 
the the point is that they would have been having discussions about the car. The, the horse industry yes. would have been yes. having discussions about the car, and they would have been like, "Oh, the car's going to destroy the horse industry, or the carrot horse and carriage industry." Or, or the accountants like, "What about this calculator thing?" Yeah, or uh, oh, Microsoft Excel is going to put all these uh, finance clerks out of business. You know, so I suppose technology, you know, moves. It's inevitable, but it, yeah. it doesn't feel good to be the horse. No, it does equation. not. You know, it feels good to be Microsoft, who you know owns the car. I guess. Um, yeah, that's why but, I like it. Even it pisses me off when Microsoft's all like celebrating this stuff, and it's just like, bro, that's my livelihood. You, you Google doesn't even make sense because like Google's gonna eat its own ad business if if you know you if it's just doing all of the AI stuff on the page and no one has to click yeah, any links or that, do anything like. And it's gonna I, make what is it? It's what gonna it make doing? itself dumber. Yeah, like, it, I, I don't. Short term, it's, it's short -term so weird. games at the expense of long game, term. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's so very strange, but I don't know. Anyways, oh, we, we do have another another question. Uh, I, and Jez didn't tell me how long we had you for, so I just assumed. Oh, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably get you out of here on this one. But Ryan Kippel wants to know. Uh, let me get his question. He said, uh, he said, what is your favorite game of all time? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. To oh, I wonder if he read my game of the year post today. Mm. Um, so my, my game of the year I picked was cyberpunk 2077. Uh, I won't go into a whole explanation of that, but it's my pick and I can do what I want. <laughs> um, in that I mentioned that it is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I do not know the final ultimate list, but it, Usually when, what comes to mind whenever I think about this is Halo 3. I have just mm -hmm. so, so many amazing memories with Halo 3. The other top contender uh, is probably um, Super Smash 64. Uh, Last of Us is on there. Mass Effect 1 and 2. Uh, Witcher 3. Not 3? Oh, man. I'd say the first 85% of 3. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you're, you're... Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Cy Cyberpunk is easily a top five game for me I, that is the single player game i've played the most it is totally transformed after all this time i i don't know if it's number one necessarily i don't know if i have a firm number one but it has really made an impact on me in, in a way that few other games have so that is man something i've been really into you have really good taste do you realize how much <laughs> shit i've taken over the years for liking cyberpunk in my I mean, I, I had three playthroughs even before the 2.0 update. So, like, I even before this, I was really on board. As you wow, triggered everybody when you said Cyberpunk was always good. Yeah, I I stand by that, bro. I mean, yeah, at its it at its core, it I was just, always yeah. a good game. It was it was massively technically flawed, which was the main problem, and it was you know missing some features. But it was always at its core a good game. Dude, but, some some of the quests and like I, I don't want to spoil it, but like. I haven't played Cyberpunk yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't okay. played Cyberpunk yet, and I was planning on to. So I'm very well. So I didn't I play it when it first it, came but... out. I'm very. In, I guess maybe be like interested in like like how would somebody who's never played Cyberpunk react to what Cyberpunk is now versus you guys who played it when it came out and then went back to it with all the changes. You know, I don't know me, how most people would have a bad experience with it playing it from the start. Now I haven't heard of anybody who started playing in this era. All, all of my readers jumping in now thought have, have thought it's amazing and if you're not dealing with those tech issues if you're you have all this additional content and stuff they've added in a a totally new combat system like 
Transmog system. It is system. one of the best open world games I, I think that exists. I in the visual fidelity. If you have a maxed out PC, it's essentially the most technologically advanced PC game on the market for the most part right now. Like it, it excels in so many ways. And now, if you start it, if you don't have to deal with any of the launch crap, I, I don't know how most people who like this genre would have a bad time with it. Right. Were you, I guess that's also one of the sore points I did see people talking about is how the hell is Cyberpunk nominated for best ongoing game? You know <laughs> I, what I mean? I see both sides. I do consider it ongoing because everyone's like, well, you know, it's these are live service games. And like, it doesn't say that. Maybe they need a live service category, but, you know, No Man's Sky is not necessarily a live service game, but it was nominated in this category many times and it's added, you know, chunky content updates. It's fixed a lot of things. Cyberpunk was on that same path for three years. The 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 first it was all bug fixes. Then they started slowly, you know, adding a little bit of content, overhauling a couple systems, culminating in this year, the huge overhaul, the huge expansion. So over the past three years, like it is it has been transforming and it is now fully transformed. It is not ongoing anymore because they are now stopping development after this point, but I would argue that yes, it has been an ongoing game and thus could be nominated in this category. And again, I'm also someone who just gave a 2020 game, my 2023 game of the year. So I like breaking <laughs> rules a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. And then there's, there's one game you didn't say about your favorite games of all time. And that was destiny Two. I'm so oh, no. Yeah, no, uh, that's in there. I guess I just take that for granted. And it, even probably though the game you played the most, right? It's, it's, it's hard hours. for me to say it's for sure. Number one, given, given the ups and downs, but yeah, I have 3,500 hours into it. That's more than Ooh. anything I've ever played by far. Uh, it's, it's just, it's almost its own category. Like it has been such a part of my life really. Cause you know, I, I kind of only started getting real quote attention in the industry when I sort of became the destiny guy. And like, I was the destiny guy writing about it the most. And that kind of became the, a big chunk of my following. So yeah, that, that's sort of its own special category, but yes, it, it's certainly in my, my top games of all time list. Yes. What's your game of all time? World of Warcraft, yeah, World of Warcraft, of well, course. Okay. No, no, no. It's World of Warcraft. I've got, I've got over ten thousand hours in World of Warcraft, but it, but it's, it, but it's twice as old as Destiny. So, <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, World of Warcraft. Then I, 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 when you talk, when you were talking about Destiny, I was like in your in its own category. I was, I was just, I was just thinking that's exactly how I feel. You know, about wow, it's, it's, it's sort of transcended game for me, and it's just sort of. What I do, it's what I do now. I'm a Warcraft player, and I probably will be until they shut the servers down. No matter how bad it gets or how good it gets, it's kind of one of them for me. And WoW has had, certainly had its ups and downs over the years. Yeah. Paul, did you know that when Jazz was watching BlizzCon, we, we, had, we delayed Xbox 2 for two hours because BlizzCon's <laughs> keynote was going on, but you know Jazz shed some tears during those Warcraft cinematics? Well, I mean, they are very good cinematics. Well, they are. Dude, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't the cinematics, man. It was Chris Metzen. It was Chris Metzen being on stage. Mm. That guy, co-founder co of Blizzard, came back out of retirement to save the game. You know, I, it was just... I remember being like an 18-year-old, you know, idolizing this dude who created one of the you know, most incredible worlds, you know. And that's what's been... That's, that's fandom to me, you know. But... At the same time, you can't just let it blind you to the problems that this stuff has, especially like if you are a journalist and stuff. And I think in some ways, when you are a big fan, it's sort of 
makes you more critical you know because you want it to oh be yeah there. you want it you know to how many there. you know how many scathing destiny articles i've written like hundreds yeah i i've i've written some really nasty articles about activision and, and um <laughs> and blizzard and and all that stuff over the years because you know you you want you want them to be they want you want them to deliver you know yep. but anyway yeah video yeah. games eh aren't they yeah, video cool? games that's why it's always difficult for me to pick like my favorite game, I always think by generations were my favorite games during each era. But if I had to pick one, the game that I played the most, it's Halo Two. Mm-hmm. I mean, Halo Two is the reason I got an Xbox. It's, you know, like I played that game every single day for a year, probably like seven hours a day. I lost two jobs over it, or a job, one job at least, and I didn't <laughs> care. I was, I remember, be, I, I was at work daydreaming about Halo Two. You know, and it was just one of those things where it was like, I kept on calling off of work because I just, I just kept wanting to play. Yeah, the online stuff. Yeah. And this is coming from someone who, like, like when I got Halo 2, when me and my brother got it, I wanted to play the campaign. He's the one who went out and got Xbox Live with the headset. And he wanted to play online. And I'm like, who the hell wants to play online? That's for nerds, right? And then I'd watch him play and I'd get like, I kind of want to do that. And then, like, I was the big brother, and it was my Xbox, so, like, I took over. And, you know, I had my own friends, and we would... I was so addicted to Halo 2. Oh, man. Like, just to think back to that... Like, I know for you, for it's Halo 3, but for me, it's Halo 2. Um, yeah. no, I, I, I put get, so I mean, much time... I Halo 2 also. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think anything multiplayer-wise has ever approached that. PUBG did for a bit. Me and my friend group did play PUBG for 800 hours. Hmm. But, like, outside of that, like, I haven't played a multiplayer game really since. I don't really play multiplayer, but for whatever, whatever it was, Battle Royale scratched that itch like nothing had since, since Halo. But now, now, like, it's all homogenized and whatever, and it's, like, not special anymore. But anyways, um, yeah, I figured that's a good point to end the show. I want to thank uh, Paul for coming on and and spending his afternoon with us when he didn't have to um, yeah paul thanks so much man no thanks for having me it was, a, it was a great time yeah um let people know where they can uh check out your content if they don't already um just at paul tassi where i tweet a lot and then you can just google me and my articles will come up <laughs> yeah so... unless, unless ai just prints all of them in front of you and <laughs> just please please, cl- please click on the links yes <laughs> So yeah, Jez, that's uh, Xbox Two Plus One um, for. Well, I think we might have another one this month, but either way, we'll be back uh, with an Xbox Two this Friday with a lot of stuff to talk about. So it should, be, it should be very interesting. Rock and roll! Thanks everyone, and thanks again to Paul. And we'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody.